The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. It's been an interesting hockey week, even though there's only been two series going on. Um, Stuff going on off the ice, on the ice, and uh, some awards being handed out. Where do we want to jump in this week? Uh, Talk about the awards. We could talk about how neither one of us made picks because we completely dropped the ball on that. But it would have been a good it's a good thing because I would have been picking Vegas and Montreal is not letting people forget about them. Let's go with the awards since they're happening. I mean, they haven't finished them yet. They're st- they've still got awards to announce during the final itself. But we can talk about the ones that have already taken place. Um, yes. And uh, what's yeah, there is there is something interesting to add to the whole playoff um, uh, to the whole. Uh, OK. Go ahead with the awards. It's interesting because they're doing this the same way they did it last season. They're handing them out during the playoffs. They didn't have a big award ceremony in Vegas or anything. Uh, Typical awards. We already knew Austin Matthews winning the Rocket Richard trophy. Mm -hmm. Um, King Clancy awarded to leadership on and off the ice was given to Pekka Rene. I understand that he does a lot of work and during his interview or his acceptance speech or whatever you want to call it, he actually acknowledged the fact that he, he works with Shea Weber and still does. Yep. Even though Uh, Shea is playing for a completely different organization in a completely different country, they still, they, they still have their, their charity. They started that. Uh, charity together several years ago and um it's great to see that it's being continued uh i wonder who will pick up the uh thread for it uh, going forward so uh, no surprise there i mean i understand pk suban curtis gabriel i actually had to look up what he does i apologize i did not i was not aware so uh, congratulations to pecorine Bill Masterton Trophy. This one was kind of... uh, It was pretty much a gimme. I was going to say, if ever there was one that was pretty much in the bag, so to speak, it was this one. Oscar Lindblom wins it. Uh, What he had to go through with the Ewing sarcoma and getting back to hockey Uh, is just an amazing feat. I mean... It was it was talked about and whether he was going to be able to, and then all of a sudden when he was ringing the bell for his last treatment before the playoffs or during the playoffs last year, was just stunning. And then he played 50 games this season. Not a huge point guy, but eight goals and six assists in 50 games for a defenseman. Not terrible. So congratulations to Oscar Lindblom. Willie O'Ree Award is given to uh, no the 
individual who has made a positive impact on the community. This was given to Kevin Hodgson of Heroes Hockey Education Reaching Out Society empowers at-risk youth. And then they have something called Superheroes, which provides boys and girls living with physical and cognitive challenges with a safe and inclusive environment as well as an adaptive on-ice curriculum. I mean, I looked into this and the program is just outstanding. Congratulations to Kevin Hodgson. This is brilliant. Keep up the great work. We then move on to some more traditional awards and... This one is one that I don't know if you and I agree on this or disagree, but the Jack Adams Award was given to Rod Brindamore of the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, He got 61 first place votes, led Carolina to its third straight playoff appearance with him at the helm. And that's where I kind of that's where he kind of loses me, actually, because me. Yeah. I think the fact that they won a division that was surprisingly strong um, is probably what pushes them over the top. I don't have an issue with any of the finalists, and I think the fact that Brenda Moore is a – okay, from looking at some of the other results, I think that there was a lot of candidate fatigue in this year's voting. Okay. And Brenda Moore has not won a Jack Adams before, whereas Quenville has. Um, and I forget who the other finalist was. Dean Avison of Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, effectively, we have three small markets. So it's probably just going to come down to the guy who did the most spectacular thing this season. And yeah, winning. And that wasn't Florida? Um, Florida made the playoffs. Florida was dominant for most of the season. Yes, they they were really, really good until their big-name defenseman went down. Um, You had to count them as a second-round team right up until that moment. And I agree. I think that losing Ekblad was huge. And unfortunately, they don't have a Jacob Slavin and a Brett Pesci and a Doug Gilmore. I mean, Dougie Hamilton, Doug Gilmore. Wow. Where'd that come from? (laughs) Dougie Hamilton. Yeah. No kidding. Completely different organization, completely different position, (laughs) completely different, different, (laughs) slightly different uh, levels of physicality, slightly different levels of height. (laughs) Doug Gilmore is not nearly as tall as Dougie Hamilton. But, I mean, what I'm saying is Quenville, his defense doesn't have as strong a 2, 3, 4, 5, or 6 that they have in Carolina. And that's, again, why I think that Quenville was – I think Quenville did more with less. But you have have to look at the other end of the equation, too. After Ajo, who do you really, really like for offense on – Carolina. Andre Svechnikov, uh, Martin Nietzsche's, Nito Niederreiter. Do you want me to keep going? Uh, I mean, you can. I just don't. <laughs> Tebu Teravainen. <laughs> Should I stop now? Yeah, okay. <laughs> They've got offense, is my point. It's not like Ajo did all their scoring. In fact, Nietzsche's 
got a lot of a lot of, of play on the four letter network as far as uh, highlights and and on NBC as far as highlights. They were all over Martin Nietzsche's this year. It was like he was the man and not Aho or Svechnikov. It, you know, Nita Ryder scored big goals. Tebo Teravainen was just kind of, seemed to be the glue. He was always in the mix. It, they have offensive weapons. They have defensive weapons. I just... Yes, I would. I would. I would have been fine, and I'm fine with Rod Brindamore winning it. I'm not against it. I just think that Quenville this year might have been a slightly better selection. And and who can question Dean Evison and what he did in Minnesota? I mean, I don't know if he's responsible for the coming out party of Kevin Fiala. They had, Erickson Eck was huge. They had, I mean, obviously they had Kirill Kaprizov. I mean, their defense again is is sort of like okay, they've got Suter, but Matt Dumba's there. They got, you know, name me is Scandella there? No, he's moved on. If I'm not mistaken, didn't he go to Buffalo? Yeah, Scandella's been gone. Um, So it's even they don't have the the defensive core that Carolina does. Um, just for okay, uh, in the regular season. The Florida Panthers were fourth with 188 goals. Carolina was 11th with 175. Um, I'm not goals. saying Florida doesn't have the ability to score goals. They bark off. They had Huberdeau, who's finally realizing that he was a first-round pick, um, and maybe he should do something. And Carolina was allowed 134 goals, uh, so fifth least. Florida... I mean, Florida was a little bit uh, was not quite as good, but they were still ninth at 151. So, I mean, the team's actual performances weren't really that far apart. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you could dive into the penalty kill and power play, but uh, I don't I don't think that's necessarily what we want to do the rest of the show. No. Um, I'm I'm OK with any of those three winning. Um in fact, I think even though he ended up getting fired for reasony reasons, I think <laughs> David Quinn probably should have been on the list because yes. if he had if he had been in the Pacific Division, he might have a won the division and b certainly would have made the playoffs. And I don't have an argument against that either. I think that David, what David Quinn had to work with in in New York and and getting all that young talent together. I mean, you've got. You got obviously Fox and 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 uh, Lindgren and oh, what's his name? Number seventy nine, oh, defenseman. I, a, believe it or not, I De, actually Keandre Miller. Yeah, thank you. Oh yes, I, I had to I had to go through the letters of the alphabet and come up with this person, Keandre Miller. I mean, you got a lot of youth up front, but. Getting Zibanejad to play the way he's capable of playing. I mean, not having Lundqvist for the first time in almost Uh, two decades. So, yeah, I have nothing against. I think that Quinn could have been a finalist for this award as well. And and oddly enough, even though he was fired, I still think that Julian should have got some acknowledgement. Unfortunately, he wasn't there. 
the whole season, so he's not going to get it. But I think what he was able to do, I, I think Dominique Ducharme up there is reaping the benefits of what Claude was had put into place. Interestingly enough, Dominique Ducharme is out for the rest of the playoffs, uh, mm-hmm. and they will have an acting head coach for uh, the next couple of weeks as uh, as uh, Duch- as Luke Richardson uh, will uh, hold down the fort um, due to uh, <clears throat> a COVID diagnosis. Uh, interesting. Uh, I know they mentioned him as a as an acting coach the other night, but I had not heard why. Um, I mean, I can't imagine someone actually firing someone in the playoffs, particularly not in the semifinals. But uh, Montreal has done weirder things like trade players in a game. In yes, a game. during the game and making them take the jersey off and telling them they'd have to pay for it. <laughs> pay $600 for it. I mean, that's almost as weird as putting together a top five list for the Selkie Award and not including Patrice Bergeron on it, uh, on your official ballot when you work for The Athletic. That's such a good look. Such are a we, good look. Are we digressing even further? <laughs> right, Mark? Hi, Mark. How you doing? <laughs> Um, For those who don't understand, read the athletic. Wanna. Read the athletic, Mark Lazarus, or find his tweets. And, yeah, and then turn them off. <laughs> then just mute them. There you go. That's the word I was looking for. I mean, unless you unless you like comedy. Uh, I mean. Uh, on to the next award, which again yeah. voted on by the. Professional Hockey Writers Association, and and this is why we were segueing from Mark into this. Uh, the Selkie Award to the NHL's best defensive forward. We had Bakov, Bergeron, Stone. Surprise! No surprise that Stone didn't win it. Very surprised that it was not Bergeron, but Alexander Barkov of Florida that won the award. Uh, yeah, as uh, Brenda, one of our friends from uh, Dev Camp. Uh, and Twitter um, pointed out there's seems to be some some candidate fatigue for some of these awards and right or wrong it's what happened. Um, I don't I think that Barkov is a bad player. I don't think that Joel Erickson Eck is a bad player. Um, I just want to know what stats were used to justify the outcome. I I, I really I, do. By the Hockey Writers Association or by the particular one we were talking about? Well, uh, the particular one we were talking about, um, I'm not sure anyone can make it make sense, so I don't care. Uh, <laughs> okay. But for the rest of the voters, yeah, I, I, I do want to know. And yeah, it sounds like a, a, a fatigue thing because, it, it, he, oh, he's won it four times. He gets nominated every year. Let's give it to somebody new. And then we have the Lady Bing, the final award that has been awarded up to this point. And Lady Bing is sportsmanship and gentlemanly conduct. So basically the guy who gets the fewest penalties, I guess. Basically, yeah. Austin Matthews, Jared Spurgeon. That's the Minnesota defenseman I was thinking of. And Jakob Slavin of the Hurricanes. And the winner was Jakob Slavin. Congratulations to all the awards up to this point. Uh... 
The General Manager Award will be given out today. The Messier Leadership Award will be given out tomorrow. And then everything else, Calder, Hart, Norris, Lindsay, Vesna, are during the actual Stanley Cup final. So, as we said, congratulations to those who've won so far. A couple of questions, but nothing against the players who've been nominated. So, good luck to those still to come. Uh, Absolutely. Um, I'm... I really do wish they would that the individual uh, voters would disclose why they picked some of the things that they did, but uh, there's no requirements to do so, um, even if it would make everything a lot more fascinating. Next on the docket is someone we've covered oh three or four times uh, on this one particular topic, um, and I can completely understand how he finally got to the breaking point. Um, Jack Eichel is in the news. Uh, I don't know if he's actually demanded a trade, but, uh, the New York post says that he's in the midst of a divorce from his, uh, from his team. Um, we've talked about Eichel two or three times in the past. And for those who didn't hear or just forgotten and need a quick refresher, uh, he's supposed to have surgery on a herniated disc, uh, this summer. It's in his um, neck. In his neck. And the team said, oh, no, you you really don't need surgery. Just just keep playing. <laughs> and Jack Eichel, uh, being a reasonably right uh, person, um, said, going to have to think about that, or words to that effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With that, that I'm sure were laced with a great deal of respect, uh, as as that sort of commentary deserves. Um and proceeded to go get a second opinion from a surgeon that didn't work for the team. And so, yes, surgery is set. He's got, um, what, six, seven years left on his. Uh, that was five. That was five, five years left on his. Five years, 50 million. On his contract. Yeah. Problem being, it, with all the potential that he has that you see in flashes. He hasn't really done anything in the NHL yet. Well, they went out. The, the, the Sabres went out and got him a winger because he was the, he was concerned. They were concerned. They went and got him Taylor Hall. They didn't play together much, and when they did, it seemed disjointed at times. Yes, and if his disc, if his neck was bothering him, and he couldn't turn his head in the proper direction, makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, because um, clearly, I mean, we saw what Taylor Hall is capable of coming into Boston. And part of it is I'm sure that Hall wanted to be in Boston. He's always wanted to be in Boston. So, yes, yes. he's going to put his best foot forward. But I don't think that the Taylor Hall that scored two goals in Buffalo is a re- true representation of Taylor. No, and I don't I don't think that you can. I mean, even with the even allowing for the injury. I don't really think that 18 points in 21 games with only two goals is all that representative of Jack Eichel. I mean, when I say he hasn't done much in the NHL, I mean, he hasn't hit the playoffs. He hasn't won any major awards. But honestly, a lot of that is because the team around him is garbage. (laughs) Um, And there's been more coaches there than... 
I, I mean, I that team has had more coaches in the last five years than I, I don't know. He's had at least three um, that I can think of. Because you got the, the whoever it is now, uh, Kruger. He had Housley. Yep. And I think um, and there he was, was someone before that. I think it was whoever was before Housley was his first coach. And I don't and remember all that. three of them fairly different styles. Yeah, so you're changing up the style. You're changing up, you know, the K. I mean, even reading the Canadians thing where they're talking about the the coach that's replaced them, Luke Richardson, and how they're okay with it. But you get used to hearing a certain voice behind the bench. You get used to hearing a certain cadence, certain, you know, calling out lines or who's going on the ice or, or change it up or whatever. And he's had three different coaches yelling in his ear, at least. Um, so current coach, oh, wait a minute, Don Granado will start uh, next year. Oh, that's right, Ralph Granado. Ruger had the 19 through 21 seasons. Phil Housley had 17 through 19. Um, and Dan Bilesma was 15 was through 17. Um, I mean, of recent for recent NHL accomplishments, Dan Bilesma is on paper the best of those coaches. Um, yes. I'm not particularly wowed by him, um, but whatever. Um, it's, I don't necessarily need to be wowed by him. I'm not signing his paycheck. Um, and my career doesn't hang in the balance based on what he does. Um, so his, uh, Eichel's first season was 15, 16. Um, so he would have had 16, would have been, yeah, it would have been Dan Bilesma. So he's on his fourth coach now with Granado. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That, that kind of change. I mean, you're talking six years, four coaches. And jumping from, uh, what was it? The college ranks to. Where he had Dan, Quinn, Dan Quinn as a head coach at BU. Yes. Dan Quinn to these guys this whole collection of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's after having played on the U S national development team where he would have been, where he had some pretty solid play. I mean, you look at his 2013 season, um, he played for the U 17, the U 18, the U S and NTDP team. He played for the U S national team. 18 team and U S national U 17 team. And he must've had, uh, close to, he must've had right around 50 goals between the, uh, between the five. So it's not that he's without talent. It's not what 48 to be exact. It's not that he's without talent. It's not that he's uncoachable. Nope. The team is bad, bad, bad. And yes. I mean, you look at his last reasonably healthy season, which would have been last year. I mean, 2019, 2020 season. Um, he played 68 games. He had, he put up 78 points. 36 of those were goals. He even had a positive plus minus on a team that's abysmal. <laughs> abysmal. They, there's, they're just not good. And I can't blame him for wanting to move on. Even though he said, even though last time I had heard him speak out about it, he said that he didn't want to be moved. 
he, that yes. he, I mean, he was unhappy with the situation or he was disgruntled with, you know, the fact that they weren't winning, but he didn't want to move. That was the last thing I had heard him say. I, I haven't heard anything more recent that he wants out or. But if I, Kevin Adams is willing to move him. If Kevin Adams is willing to move him, Kevin Adams can get pennies on the dollar or, you know, retain part I of think, his salary. I, yeah, I think it's going to take. Because honestly, when we talked about this, what was it, uh, two and a half months ago, we talked about Eichel potential yep. trades. Mm-hmm. We we had set the price for him higher, and we're not really Buffalo people. No. Um, we were talking two to three first round quality picks or players. Um, and then at least one or two roster players. And everything I'm seeing now is a significant roster player, a top prospect Mm -hmm. and like a first and a reasonable first round pick. Um, I tweeted a couple of days back, uh, middle of the week, uh, in response to seeing uh, suggestions that Rizlik be part of one of the trades. I think that would be a mistake. Oh, it's a huge mistake, and not because <laughs> Eichel isn't talented, but because Grizzlick is the best defenseman they have on that side, and the only one with even 100, 150 games experience. Um, and there's no one else in the system who can replace him. And he is arguably your most complete defenseman. There is not a single area of the ice that he is bad at. Agreed. That's why I said it would be a mistake. I'm not saying that he's not worth it. I'm not saying that Eichel's not worth it. I'm just, it would be a mistake for the Bruins to let Grizzly go because, yeah, you kind of need him. You would be improving your offense and destroying your defense, and you'd start looking like, well, Edmonton and Toronto. (laughs) Yeah, let's not go there. (laughs) So you you looked at a you looked at the list from LeBron. What do you think of any Uh, of those teams? From looking at those teams, some of them I just don't see it. Uh, as far as, admittedly, Eichel's no-movement clause has not kicked in yet, um, so he doesn't have much of a say. Um, but if I'm some of the teams on this list, I don't know if I can keep him. Because some of them really aren't much better or any better than the Buffalo Sabres. Um, where is that LeBron list. Uh, here it is. I mean, LeBron's I short list includes yeah. Los Angeles, Minnesota, Anaheim, Columbus, Philadelphia, and the Rangers, among others. Um, Minnesota is probably the best place to go and play hockey right now. I mean, if you have Eichel and Sturm as your number one and number two centers, particularly if you can manage not to give up too much too much off of your blue line there, okay, you're in pretty good shape. 
you're in pretty good shape. Um, but Philadelphia, what do they really have to offer? I didn't understand the Philadelphia bit either. Cause and Los Angeles is I, I'm not giving up a healthy Quentin Byfield. No, for a guy who will be coming to the team with off fresh off of a neck surgery that no one has seen him so much as stick handle, much less play an NHL game. And there you've hit on the issue all these teams have, including the Bruins, who were asked about it. And there, uh, Eichel has a neck injury in a sport where hitting is not optional for the most part. And the fact that his head and neck could get jarred around a little bit. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it, it becomes an issue down the road. Uh, and it's, it's just like the Anaheim ducks, the list of people that John Vogel, uh, posted, um, to the athletic for them include or starts with not surprisingly Trevor <laughs> Zegras, who, by the way, played at the same school as and includes Jamie Drysdale. If you if you called me up and said, hey, um, I want, uh, let's see, four million or so of your current salary cap. And I'm going to send you 10 million of my current salary cap. That's not currently healthy or fit to play. And we don't know when he'll be back. I'd hang up the phone, like literally hang up the phone and I might well block you. Like Zegras and Drysdale alone have to be a no. Yeah. I mean, the the other side of the argument is that you're trading a and I'm playing devil's advocate. You're, you're trading a known commodity in. Eichel, which, by the way, I just said he's injured, so I don't, I don't know how known he is right now, but a known commodity for prospects who haven't played. I mean, yes, we've seen in, in this case, much. haven't played much. Yes, Trevor Zegers played, what, 24 games this season. Uh, he was up and down. Three goals and 13 points. Just turned 20. Have they? Did they even bring up Jamie Drysdale this past year? I believe they did, but oh, he I mean, played twenty four games as well. Okay, yeah, yeah. But look at look at Columbus. Columbus might actually have the best, at least theoretical, return. Well, they could get a starting goaltender for yeah for yeah. number one. <laughs> you could get Merzlikens or Corpusalo. I'm um, hang on to Merzlikens, but that's just a that's just a personal bet. Uh, Patrick Laine is, if you can find someone who can, who understands what goes on between his ears and can keep him motivated. Yeah. Um, he's a, he's a big asset. Now, admittedly, he's an RFA. You're going to have to sign him. Um, and the two goalies are both UFAs at the end of next season. So you're only getting one year out of whoever it is, unless you can get them extended. Um, I think sign and trade has to be part of the deal for either of those. You have to get, you have to sign them for at least three more years. I don't know that they have. The trade. I don't know if they have the draft. The, I don't know if they have the capital to, to to pull it off though. 
I mean, yes, the goaltender, great. Okay. Uh, line A, like you said, not a known commodity either because you don't know who you're going to get. You're going to get the guy well, that this can has score. the fifth pick this year, too. So if, if, for me, as much as I would like to add a defenseman, and I might do that with the first and the fifth pick because that seems to be what the draft this year is looking like. Um, I I think I would go for Line A and Merzlikens or Corpusalo, either one, and the and the first and the fifth overall pick. Um, you get to the Flyers. You've got Corey Hart. Carter, Corey no, Hart's Carter the Hart, singer. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. That's all right. Flashbacking to the 80s or something. Yeah. Wearing Corey Hart, uh, Carter Hart like. again. James Van Riemsdyk. This, yeah, see, that's not going to happen. 35-year-old player? for Yeah, I don't think that's happening. 35 for 24, uh, no. I don't care if James did play for Buffalo. It's not happening. <laughs> um, and then Travis Konechny. Nah. A decent player, not. I mean, as a list, as a collective, no. No. It's just weak. What? Well, my question is, have you already? Has Philadelphia already worn out Carter Hart? I mean, he looked tired at times this season. Which? Uh, I mean, granted, okay, going this to was... get better playing for Buffalo because they don't have a goalie pool. And their defense is um, largely <laughs> theoretical. <laughs> you look at the Rangers, and again, I'm in the, did they draft poorly? Is the city too much for them? Or did they, did someone break them and someone has to fix, someone else has to fix them? Because theoretically, there were four or five A prospects on this Rangers list from Vogel, you've got Alex Lafreniere, Capo Caco, Vitaly Kratzkov, uh, and then goalies Shosturkin and, and uh, Georgiev. And, and you, to, now, seriously. To be quite honest, the two goalies are the most attractive to me. Again. Two and a half years ago, can you imagine saying... Yeah, the Rangers are going to trade their are going to have available their top two picks uh, in the next two drafts uh, to trade for a guy with a neck injury. <laughs> Even that. walking into the draft or walking out of the draft last year, yeah. you genuinely say you thought Lafreniere would even be mentioned as available. No. And going back to the previous uh, draft, Capo Caco available. Mm mm. And the two goalies, yes, you probably need to move on from one of them simply because one of the other one needs to own the net. Yeah, that was the one thing. And I don't think that it was necessarily Dan Quinn's fault. I think that he was kind of thrust with this three-headed monster last year and and Lundqvist moved on. Okay, now you've got two two young potential number ones, and what do you do? Uh, because Georgiev, when his mind is right, Georgiev, when his mind is right, and he thinks he's the number one, he puts up really good numbers. Same thing for Shesterkin. It, it's like they know that the other guy is waiting right there, and they don't know who's going to start night to night. And this, yeah, I think they need to split those two and and 
allow Georgiev to be a starter or sister. I think they'd move Georgiev, but I mean, you look at uh, Vitaly uh, Kravstov, ninth pick in the 2018 draft. Um, came over last year to play in the NHL after playing for he played 20 games in the NHL after 49 in the KHL. He only put up four points in 20 games. Is That's, that just the adjustment period, or is that a closer look at who he is? Because he only had 24 points in 49 games playing for uh, – Playing in the K, Joe. Playing in the K. Um, um, Chelyabinsk. Tractor. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, wow. There's some familiar names on that team. Pontus Aberg is playing over there. The Pope moved over there to KHL. Wow, I didn't know that. I was wondering where he was. So this guy, Kravtsov, he's got a half point per game in the KHL. He comes over to America and can't find his footing. I think with him, you have to give him a season. You have to give him a season. Um, I mean, if I'm (laughs) – in this case, if I'm the Sabres, I'm saying – No. I'm not saying no, but I'm saying – Look, none of the none of your three guys have actually panned out at the NHL level. None of your three forwards, and none of them are a center, anyways. Um, I want all three and a goaltender. And your and your number one pick in, at fifteen. I don't think I'd get that greedy, but I might start there as a bargaining as a bargaining <clears throat> gambit. Um, Do you try to get Zach Jones away from him? I mean, if I were going for additional additional players or a swap up of players, it has to be one of the young defensemen. I think it's a waste of time to even bring up Fox's name or Lingren's name. But getting yeah, I think that's a non-starter. (laughs) For that matter, even Truba. Uh, But you might manage to swing uh, Miller. Um, You might. I mean, Brendan Smith is a UFA this season if memory serves, so you might be able to get the rights for him thrown in um, to give yourself some certainty and, you know, a guy who has actually played in the NHL playoffs in recent memory. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I mean, yeah. I do, I do not love any of these lists. No, none of these. I don't know that <sighs> as a G, if I'm Kevin Adams, I don't know that I like any of these. Yeah, I agree. Um, and how I, I not to throw Boston into the mix, but how gun shy is Kevin Adams going to be after the deal that he worked with Boston? Where it was clearly stated in most of the free press, he had no that, leverage in there. He had no leverage on that on those deals. If he's going to do another deal with Boston. And I don't know that Eichel actually wants to play here. He went to school here, but that he he went to school here and he's from here, though. He did. But look at look at how well that worked out for Kevin Hayes. Uh, Okay, Kevin Hayes didn't play here. I'm sorry, Pat, or the other Hayes brother. Jimmy Hayes was nowhere near as talented, in my opinion, and from what I saw on the ice, Jimmy Hayes was not as talented as Kevin. Okay. But, the other por- the other thing going on here, 
his salary is huge. Well, yes, and that's why it's going to be difficult to work him into, I mean, say, reject- an L.A. situation. Oh, L.A. or uh, Chicago was mentioned in a couple of the papers. Yes, Kane and Tay is making ten plus. You've got you'd ha- you'd you'd be you'd be right back into a similar situation to <sighs> where you Toronto, are. where you have a third of your cap, half of your cap uh, <clears throat> tied up in three players. Yeah. Um, but here's here's the uh, here's the thing for next year. Um, the Bruins have 11 forwards currently listed as, as, uh, on their roster. I think that it's a little bit generous to put Anton bleed and Carson Coleman there to start. Um, Andre Kasha well, is still, did just sign bleed did just sign an, ex- an extension two years. I understand that. But there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of competition for that roster spot. Yeah, it is a two way deal. I mean, it's only for seven hundred fifty grand. But uh, Andre Kasha is an RFA with uh, Nick Ritchie RFA, Trent Frederick RFA. Um, so right now they have fifteen players signed for next season, including zero zero experienced NHL goalies. Um, but they're using fifty million of uh, over almost 51 million of their cap. So if they bring in a $10 million cap hit, even if they're moving out, say Jake DeBrusque and Jeremy Lozon or um, who is currently signed. Um, Lozon doesn't, doesn't free up. I mean, Lozon's $850,000 cap hit next season, and he's an RFA. I mean, he doesn't free up a lot of money. No, he doesn't. Um, but assuming where, one, where are they, where, where are they filling the pipes with? I mean, who literally who is playing goal next year? Because I can't imagine Sweeney going into next year with a still very young, very green defense, and two, and a pair of goaltenders who have a combined 15 NHL games between them. Oh, but Jeremy Swayman's like but, the new. And their the, number three goaltender hasn't even played in the NHL yet, in Kyle Kaiser. Ah, uh, I didn't realize he was the number three. Okay. He's number three by default. It's oh, okay. either Kyle Kaiser or Calum Booth, who isn't even signed. Calum Booth, yeah. Okay, then. So. Jeremy Swayman, this the new the the new um the new Hall of Famer, I guess, based on the way everybody reacts around here in Boston. Yes, the and very measured reactions to goaltending in Boston. Very measured and very yeah cerebral, and the way they did Daniel Vladar is just wrong. So, but that's another story for another time. I don't think that I don't know. I my personal opinion, reading all of this and seeing all of this and hearing all of this, it's all going to be anticlimactic because Eichel's not going to go anywhere. That might be the best take to get published this week. Excellent. Uh, while we're still here in Boston, two other stories that popped up that amused me to no end. Mm-hmm. Um. 
this was said in a general um, in a general press conference, but our uh, our uh, buddy Ty Anderson uh, posted uh, wrote it up for the uh, 98.5 of the Sports Hub website. Apparently, the blindingly obvious has become so blindingly obvious that even Neely has admitted that the 2015 uh, NHL draft was one of the worst things that the Boston Bruins have done in the past 15 years. Is complete disaster an exact quote, or did he just throw that, or did Ty just throw that into the title of the article? <sighs> I may have thrown that in, but when you look at when you look at the actual selections and who else oh, I'm not is available. Dis- I'm not disagreeing with it. I'm just wondering if it was an exact, if it was a quote or if he just, you know, threw that in. Let's, let's uh, hop in the way back machine. Oh goodness. And I think I was watching this night. Oh, we were both watching. And I think we were on the phone with each other for like four uh, hours for, yeah, four hours while we, (laughs) while we were watching and sitting there aghast as he actually took all three picks because both of us wanted him to trade well, for a th- right wing or something useful. I think he. I think originally when they started, they only had the 14th pick. They actually made a deal that that day or the day before. That was because the 13th it was pick in was the two weeks heading up to the draft because Lucic, the Lucic for Jones trade, and then Jones tripped, flipped for Corrali, and a future first round pick. Um, that took a while, um, because Jones was on, Jones was a Boston Bruin on paper for about four days. Yeah. yeah. But you look at this draft and the two of us were watching this draft and the run up to the draft. Um, and there's just, No one in their right mind predicted they would actually take all. No one thought it was a good idea for them to take all three. Mm-hmm. All three picks. Yeah. While there's a, in general, people hit on about 75%, 70% of first round picks. Some years it's much higher and everyone plays, you know, four or five seasons in the league. Some years, you know, it's slightly over half of the first round. But having that much unpredictability in your roster and then in your cap situation, no one expected no one expected him to take all three. We've been over all of the players that they could have taken. But given the needs of the team, given that this was his first showing at, at the draft table, even though he'd been with the team for years because he was the assistant general manager for several years. Yeah. Um, although there's that speculation that there was a rift between him and uh, Chiarelli, uh, which may or may not have contributed to uh, him being named the GM of the Providence Bruins and Chiarelli eventually being run out of town. Does Chiarelli make these three picks? No, no. Thank you. And 
I don't necessarily think Chiarelli was all that much better at drafting, but Chiarelli absolutely trades. Dougie all Hamilton, Tyler Sagan. I think either, he benefited either. from having high. I think he benefited from having high first round picks like Sagan at number two and Hamilton at number nine. I mean, you and I he talked did. about it. We said he that nauseam. But there's no way that these three picks are what come out of Chiarelli or any no. other GM who's actually won a cup. I think one of those other guys ends up a Bruin. Uh, you and know, that list, of, that list of players that nobody given, wants. Given who, given um, Chiarelli's preferences and what we've seen of him. You would have had Barzal. At least one of them would have been a defenseman. And Shabbat. Um, it, it might have been Shabbat. I think it probably, I probably would have made the Shabbat pick because we talked about him extensively. Yes. Between the two of us. Um, but I, I also think that he might have traded up even at the cost of two picks at the middle of the draft for, uh, one pick at the top of the draft. Like if he could have moved up and had, the first pick or the second pick? I don't think you would have got one or two. You might have been able to move up to that five pick that this article talks about, Noah Hannafin. But even if he could only move up to three, because Arizona is and has been for years a poor team that players have not wanted to go to, if you can talk Arizona into the 13th and 14th pick for – uh, for the third pick, and then you can take Mitch Marner or Noah Hannafin or Zach Wierenski. Now nah, you would a completely help. different Boston Bruins team, and I and I'm almost positive it would have been it would have still been Hannafin or uh, or or Wierenski there. Just just my hunch. Yeah, Wierenski wouldn't have helped at all. No, no, Noah Hannafin wouldn't have helped at all either, especially not. No, no. And I mean, what familiarity would he have had with a Boston college player? No, none. None. And no access to him either. Would never, yeah, would never even seen him. <laughs> would never have even seen him play. What? Who's this Hannafin kid? Never heard of him. Um, so yeah, this it, it was it's not news. It, well, it's not shocking to any of us who have been paying attention for the last half decade. But that was a terrible draft that yes. never should have played out the way that it did. And the fact that they're finally admitting it. I um, think that I, I want to go I ahead. Wanna... I do have a question to ask you about it. Okay, I was gonna. I was gonna say I wanted to just throw this out there because admitting, nearly admitting it, but they're they're qualify. He's qualifying his admittance by saying that the timing of when we hired Don Sweeney and the draft taking place would have would have been good to have a little more time between hiring him and the draft. And so while he's admitting it he's still making excuses yep. or 
couching it or whatever phrase oh, yeah, you want to use. He's uh he's very much softened that one. Um even though he has softened it yeah. and Sweeney did take the team to another Stanley Cup final where the coach that he picked who spent 13 years in the minors without anyone else giving him an NHL shot um lost the game um and lost the series and lost the cup do you think that Neely stating this is a shot across uh, Sweeney's bow? Was that a public warning shot that you need to do better and you need to produce now? Yes, I do feel that way. Unfortunately for him, I think that he's on just as much of a hot seat as Sweeney is. I think that they, I I think they both go as a package deal. I am surprised that Sweeney is still around, that no changes were made in the front office, at least not to this point. And now I don't think they're going to, because the draft is close and. Oh, there, I, unless Sweeney somehow manages to make a disastrous trade or do something even more redonkulous, like leave David Pasternak unprotected for the expansion draft. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that he, he's probably safely going to be here through, through probably the trade deadline at at minimum. I think that he gets another, I think they're going to give him another season. I don't They. see if for me, If I'm if I'm ownership or Don, or or Cam Neely, given what I've just said about the timing, if I have to hire another GM and I don't feel that my that the guy in the seat now is the right guy in the middle of the season, I'm pulling the trigger as fast as I can. He should. Yeah, he should have made. I mean, he should have made this move a year ago. Yes, at least. I, and I know I that's terrible to say, but no, I probably would have cleaned house after the after the um, after the cup loss to 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 in, the Blues in nine. Okay, yeah, in nineteen. That was four years. The team was not set up to get better over the next two years or three years. You had to have a good inkling that these 15 these 2015 draft picks the first round anyways they were what you saw but Jake Brusk reasonable is, quality Zach Senishin ECHL all-star Jacob Zaboral tweener he's he's one of those what baseball will call uh, 4A 4A players too good for the minors, not good enough for the big leagues. They're usually the first or second call up, and yep, and, and that's so they that's ride the bus going. a lot. Um, I I would be inclined to agree. If they didn't get rid of him after 19 and the cup loss, there definitely should have been some movement when you didn't secure anybody to replace Krug, you didn't secure anybody to replace Chara, and you and, entered the season with two UFA aging. Um, goaltenders and did nothing to secure the position uh, going forward. 
you let both yeah both contracts expired in the same season so you don't even have like a staggered overlap and you ticked one of them off far enough uh that well you let cassidy do it or let cassidy do it same thing the organization failed um failed halak when halak was there for them um, Halak carried this team on a number of occasions during his tenure, um, to the point of, I still, I still firmly believe that over the course of what is it? The four years Halak has been in Boston, three yeah, seasons, that. three seasons, um, that I, I found him a better goaltender for the Boston Bruins than a better and more consistent goaltender than Rask. He seemed, to communi- he seemed to communicate better with the defense. Everybody communicates better with the defense. Everybody. Fair enough. And yes, he did. But like, you still have to look at him and go, you still have to look at Rask and go, why can't you figure this out? You've seen like examples of this for 12 years. Like, you go all the way back to the beginning of Rask's career. He had Tim Thomas communicating better. <laughs> um, he had Alex Ald communicating better. He had Manny Fernandez communicating better. Was Manny still around? Wait a minute. I thought Manny was before Tuca. Manny uh, is 0708 season. Um, Alex Ald, 23 games. Tim Thomas, 57. Tuka Rask, four games. Manny Fernandez, four games. Wow, four goaltenders that year. Um, Somebody was hurt. Yes. Um, and Manny Fernandez managed to play 28 games the next season. Rask only played one. And this was, that, the, that this, this, been was, a- this was the genesis of the irrational Rask brigade. He played one game that season. He had a shutout. He, he admittedly had 35 saves in that game. And immediately this, everyone was saying, trade Thomas, trade Fernandez, just give the net to Rask. Yeah. Even though Thomas finished the season with a 933 save percentage in 54 games. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sure. I just, yeah, I don't understand where it is, why. I, I, I don't get it. There were a lot of screw-ups, so I think that I think that Neely at least has to in some way recognize that he plays a part in this. Did they allow, you know, they allowed Sweeney to draft, did, did Neely just stick his head in the sand? And if so, that's just as bad as actually knowing and not doing anything about it. There's... There's a lot going on. Um, there's a lot going on there. I would love to parse the layers. Yeah. But either way, I think Sweeney is failing. He, I believe and so as Neely well. is failing. But to allow Neely to hire a replacement, good, G, it, it, yeah. it seems a little disingenuous. It's it's questionable. Um that said, if we're going to talk about replacement GMs or GMs slash president of hockey operations types, that's a whole other show. That's 
that's 30 minutes I want to sit down and do some reading and see who's actually available. Yeah, um, cool. <laughs> would he even come back? Um, <sighs> to stick it to New York? Good point. <laughs> uh and if he hurries, he could maybe he can pick up uh, John Tortorella before before Seattle does. Oh, nice segue. Uh, because this isn't us saying it this time, uh, even for pure entertainment value. But uh, Dave Grosby of uh, my uh, mynorthwest.com. Uh, writing about the Kraken says has an article titled "Why the First Any uh, Why the First Seattle Kraken Coach Should Be the Fiery John Tortorella." Uh, this is from the 18th, uh, just about one just about 1 p.m. Um, this is this is fun. He points out, you know, Stanley Cup winner, two-time coach of the year. Winningest American-born coach in NHL history with 670 wins. Um, old enough at 62 to be, you know, settled and reasonably predictable, um, but still have several years. And one of the things that he points out that I didn't really think about. Oh, yeah. Chorella is really, really disliked by the Vancouver fan base. Uh-huh. And so that that generates a rivalry just about right away. And rivalries are what make sports fun. And as a as as an expansion team, it's their first season. And the paragraph after the whole Tortorella held in low esteem by Vancouver, as far as his players, major incident involving him was in between periods in Calgary. He tried to get into the Flames locker room to get at coach Hart, Bob Hartley. He accused him of starting a lineup with intent to injure a star Canucks player. Tortorella had to be restrained and by several players and coaches. <laughs> it's funny to watch. Actually, <laughs> you get this guy who's like, go back and go find this footage of him trying to get into the Flames locker room. And remember, Tortorella is not a former former NHL player. He's a small guy. He's like what five nine, one hundred and seventy pounds, something like that. Yeah, he's not. We're not talking six four two twenty here. <laughs> no, this this is not Brent Burns or Zdeno Chara trying to get through. This is this is Brad Marchand's dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The, I mean, the the point of it is, though, he's out there defending his players. If you watch any of his his and I I use the word loosely, if you watch any of his antics in, in like Columbus, it was always defending players. He's always attracting the attention to himself to take it, take the spotlight off whether the players are doing good or bad. That's. A, that's a, a, a commodity that I would want in an expansion team so that everybody's not focused on whether they're doing well or not doing well. They're going to get compared to Vegas ad nauseum next season. Absolutely. And if Tortorella is the coach and I'm not, I still don't know if it's a good idea because I think he might be a little too much for an expansion team, 
But if, there's the credibility angle, which uh, the writer brings up, and they absolutely believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I, I have to wonder if I, I have to wonder if he's just not too much of a personality for Seattle. Because John Tortorella, the Seattle area, like this whole city of Seattle, <laughs> probably the whole state of Washington. OK, then. <laughs> like probably the whole state. He is um, a big he is a big personality. I will say that. Yes. And I. I, I just don't know. Um, would it yeah. be incredibly fun to watch particularly yes. you know watch the live games and watches uh watches uh, media availability um one way or the other mm-hmm. uh good games or bad yeah i think it would be fascinating like literal popcorn tv oh absolutely um, again, the built-in the built-in rivalry with Vancouver. Yep, they're just over the border, and oh, he's already coached there, and oh, they traded Luongo away to back up the coach. And um, there's there's just a lot of fun built into that that you're not going to get. I mean, with, the one <laughs> you're not going to get that with any other coach that's available. I agree. I mean, unless Brian Burke decides that he wants to be an NHL head coach. Which I just don't see happening. I think Berkey and Tortorella should have their own talk show. <laughs> Burke, Tortorella with like Sean uh, Thornton as like moderator or a moderator, perhaps. <laughs> oh yeah, that would be. I mean, entertainment at its finest. <laughs> I love Marco Sturm. He's not going to bring the same sort of panache. Mike Babcock, I just can't. Oh, goodness, bring myself. no. No. I can't imagine that they're looking at Babcock to. I mean, he's going to coach some college hockey team in Canada anyway, but yeah. I can't. Mm-hmm. I I can't imagine him behind the bench in, in, of an expansion team. No. Dan Bilesma? And nope. Dave Tippett, although he's currently coaching, I think. Ted Nolan, maybe? Uh, that one, that one has possibilities. I don't know that he's my first choice, but that one certainly has possibilities. I like Teddy Nolan. See, I I think he's gotten a raw deal every time he's been up. Uh, he's been made an acting coach, especially it's in like, Buffalo. Oh, it's Ted Nolan. Hi. Um, yeah, we're just we're not even going to tape your name onto the office door. Um, we'll just remind people that it, it, that the other guy isn't coach anymore. Probably. Wow, that's yeah. cruel. I figured they'd at least put a piece of masking tape up and write his name on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, don't want to waste paper and stuff like that. <laughs> ink from the ink from the sharpie. <laughs> um, it, I mean, the one thing about this that I it, it, the one thing that I agree or don't necessarily agree, but the one thing that I, Tortorella has going against him is the chance that he to build a team from scratch. He's never done that. And this is a team. Although that can be a good thing, too. He can take this team and mold it in his image or get the players to play in his, you know, in his style. And that's and, 
one of the things that's a little bit terrifying uh, if you're (laughs) a hockey fan right Uh now. John Tortorella has a whole team. No, there's not that much available. Like, I don't expect there to be a fantastic. And and, I I don't. Okay, I don't expect this team based on available talent Mm -hmm. to be as good as. I the Vegas Knights turned out to be. I think a lot of teams are going to be gun shy as to who or what they who they expose based on the fact that they did this a few years ago with Vegas and Vegas now turned Vegas out is a to monster. Yes, they can't yes, that they can't control because Vegas is in the semifinal and yeah, they're having an issue with Montreal at the moment who's playing and punching way above their weight. Um, the, the whole I, I want to talk about the two series in a few minutes, but um, I did a projected draft based on current disposition of the teams. Um, no, this is expansion draft. You mean? I, yeah, I did a current expansion draft for uh, Seattle. Um, the the expansion draft rules are fairly interesting. Um, you have to draft a, you have to obviously have to draft 30 players. You have to draft a minimum of like nine defensemen, at least three goaltenders. You have to have at least 10 players under contract going into, uh, for next season. Um, for, what is it? The number is 12, at least 12, uh, forwards, 14 Mm -hmm. forwards. Um, and you have to be cap compliant with total headcount. Um, of 30 players before, even even though, at least according to Cap Friendly's tool, um, you're going to end up drafting some players who are UFAs or RFAs and uh, won't actually have a cap hit unless they're signed. But um, my team came out something somewhat unexpected. I made some assumptions, and one question I left dangling is, should should the Washington Capitals expose Tom Wilson? They've tried, or th- at least theoretically tried, to rein him in a number of times. <laughs> he's, he's a good hockey player when he's not had his head up his backside. It's scary the talent. He, it, it's scary the talent he has, and I'm not saying that he's McDavid or Bergeron or this or that, but it's scary the talent he has. And he's such a knucklehead. Like he, when he's playing right, there is nothing to criticize about his game. Right. Like, yes, he could be faster. He could shoot sooner. He could have a slightly better shot, but he's, it's, he's a complete player. He actually comes back and plays in the defensive zone. He forechecks, he backchecks, he scores. Clearly he hits. But, but he he's cap- he's completely capable of playing an entire game without taking a penalty. Not just not taking a stupid penalty, but without taking a penalty. Because he understands hockey. Which makes his violations that much more egregious. You can't play as well as he normally does without understanding hockey. You just can't. Because it requires you to analyze and anticipate things in order to be in the right place or make the right pass as often as he does. Anyways. And 
he puts um, himself he puts himself in positions to score, succeed. I mean, he's yeah, his hockey IQ is is pretty high, I would say. His but general IQ we can question all day long. But then he's his a knucklehead. IQ, no. <laughs> but then he turns into a knucklehead. It, it's like it's like someone blows out a candle and you get you get a very dark room. Uh, so I did actually leave him exposed as part of my assumptions uh, for this draft. Um, partly because once I did all of the automatic people and kept together as much of their defense as I could, um, I still wanted to protect Alex Ovechkin uh, because I, the way that the draft rules work, uh, if he's drafted away by Seattle, mm-hmm. Washington can't reacquire him and for at least a full season. Oh, boy. Most of a season. So I think they'll end up protecting him. Um, but I'm just going to run through the players. Yeah. I did draft. Um, starting it forward, uh, we have Braden Shen, Adam Henry, and James <laughs> Neal. Um, James Neal. <laughs> As I said pre-show, James Neal. Really? I, I liked him because he could play both wings, or, or I picked him because he can play both wings. Okay. Um, he also has a good amount of playoff experience. Nazem Kadri, Jake DeBrusque, and Jay Beagle. I like the Kadri pick. Um, then Nola Chari, Matt Martin, Christian Fisher, Ryan Carpenter. Um, okay. The next few names are a little le- a little less well known, although two of them have at least one or two of them have been on Cup winners. Um, you've got Carl Grundstrom, Barkley Goudreau, Matt Nieto, Rasmus Asplund, uh, Joel Eriksenak, and Eric Halla. You're breaking up the Rasmus trio? I, I am breaking up the Rasmus trio. More importantly, <sighs> I think with the forward group, you don't have a clear number one center. You have a couple uh, of really good number two centers. I was going to say, I, looking at this, yeah, you're, you're kind of – you'd have to promote Henry like – And Kadri – You've got two somewhat different because Kadri is definitely more physical than Henry. Um, but both of them are more than able scorers and they're definitely solid passers. Um, whether you're going to load up on one line and have Neil and um, Shen, you know, with Henrique as your power line uh, or something similar um, is a question for the head coach. Uh, so I drafted 16 forwards, 10 defense. Um, defense, uh, some of these were by default because some of the teams are terrible. Um, but P.K. Subban, Shane Gostisbehere, Joel Edmondson, uh, Michael Kine- uh, Kepney, Nathan Bolio, Chad Ruiel. Um, those are the guys who are signed for next season. Yes, Kepney and Bolio are are currently injured. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen anything to indicate that they won't be back next year. Um, Dougie Hamilton, UFA, Victor Mete, um, RFA with arbitration rights. Brendan Smith. Brendan Smith is weird because he's listed as, on cap friendly, he's listed as left defense, right defense, um, left wing. He, 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 like Brendan Burns, has played some wing. Brent. But uh, and then all the coming Brent, off yes. of the flames. Whoever burns that that guy in San Jose. Yeah, the guy with the beard. Um, 
And then goaltenders, goaltenders was a little bit harder because there just wasn't as much available and their goaltending wasn't always, um, wasn't always, um, the best pick, even when you needed to do it. Um, when I went through protecting, uh, for the, for the various NHL teams, all 30 that are eligible for the draft, my assumption was basically for every team, obviously keep youngest, uh, the youngest players, the best players, um, you know, they're still in their career or in the prime of their career. Um, it automatically protects anyone with no movement clause. Um, and it tells you when you're doing it wrong. Um, and then term, because while we expect next season to be normal, <laughs> it's still going to impact the salary cap in some way. So yeah. if the cap ends up dropping, you know, you're going to want to know uh, what you're what you're in for before it happens. So the four goaltenders, Anton Hudobin, um, I think fresh start, you get a solid, solid performance. Um, Caden Fulcher, uh, Mattis, Kivlenix, Kivlenix, and then David Riddich. Um, I think you probably end up with Hudobin and Riddich to start your season. And then um, the other two young guys can fight it out to be the first call-up. It'd probably be Kivlenix. I don't think that Fulcher's been close to the NHL with Detroit. There is that. Um, I mean, my... my... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, my question is, A, do you really think that Dougie Hamilton is going to be exposed? Given that they've talked about trading him since they... Since he since he landed there, everywhere he goes, like, they talk about trading him. Um, and if you look back at the, if you look back at the, um, at the Carolina Hurricanes and who you had to protect or who was automatically protected, uh-huh. um. Yes, it becomes more likely. The only other player, oh, okay. like legitimately, the other players available, maybe Jordan's or well, Jordan Stahl protected, um, Svechnikov protected, uh, Teravainen, uh, Aho, Lorenz, Trocheck, Paquet, Gardner, Slavin, Pachi, and Nadelkovic. After that, it, it's almost doggy by default. Okay. Um, this uh, this roster is posted on Cap Friendly's uh, forums. If you go into the expansion draft, you'll find it. There's a poll attached uh, where you can vote if you like on how likely you think this team is or where you think it will finish. Everything from lottery to cup contender. Um, uh, the, the votes were uh, the voting options are lottery outside the playoffs, marginal playoff teams or divisional win- division winner in the Pacific they actually have a shot at winning the Pacific I don't think they will but I think they have I think the Pacific is yeah squishy. pretty much squishy yes <laughs> squishy I genuinely is a good think 
head coach is going to matter a whole bunch to whatever ends up on the Seattle roster. Um, the drafting is going to be important. The expansion draft, what they do with free agency. Um, but I think that based on what I drafted, I think you have a exceptional bottom six, a, a really good third line and probably a passable first line, depending on how you set it up. The defense is definitely offense leaning. Hmm. Yeah. Subin, Gostaspierre, Hamilton. Yeah. But that's really what was what I expected to be available. Okay. Um and then let's see. So they're not shopping around. They're, they're, they're shopping around when free agents along with everybody else. Okay. Oh yeah, it's going to be an interesting. It's going to be an interesting free agency period. And I think once the cup is lifted, I think you're going to see a whole mess of trades, um, both <laughs> with Seattle and to <clears throat> frustrate Seattle. Because if I, I genuinely think if you know Seattle or let's say um, not Seattle. Uh, St. Louis can avoid exposing Braden Shen. They probably want to. Um, I think if St. Louis can, uh, not St. Louis, um, I think if Montreal can avoid exposing Joel, Joel Edmondson, they probably they probably go for it. Um, Depends on how they feel about his comments toward Mark Shifley. I, I, see, I still think they're going to play him. I, think that, I still think they're going to hold on to him. He's played pretty well. Yeah, it's it's timing. Mean, who's running the show up there? Is Ron Francis, if I'm not mistaken? Yes. Yeah. Ron Francis doesn't isn't the type who's going to be put off by players saying unkind things about each other. No. Um. Uh, we had other stuff we wanted to cover this week, and we are running close to time. Well, oh, the other Boston story. Yes, I should remember these things. Um, okay, well, you put, Boston, according you put to it up there. You put it up. <laughs> uh, Boston, according to our friends at uh, what is it, Nerd Wallet? Wallet Hub. Wallet Hub uh, is America's number one hockey city. According to a 21-factor metric uh, poll or metric uh, measurement, um, graded out first in both the NHL and college categories, um, the team that came in second is somewhat surprising. Not uh, really. Detroit. Although, yes, there's some good college teams there. Yeah, but not necessarily in Detroit. I mean, University of Michigan is in Ann Arbor. Michigan's I, Michigan State is in. Uh, yeah, it it escapes me. Um, there's some of the measurements here are a little bit squishy because, as we know, Boston College is not from Boston, and <laughs> um, realistically, as a metro re, metro area. 
yes, Boston College absolutely counts as being Boston. But they kicked so out Harvard. Harvard. They kicked out Harvard because they were in Cambridge. Which is baffling because uh, it, it's just baffling. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it's uh, funny because it says they don't appear to include women's hockey, but yes. that would have only helped Boston anyway because the Boston Pride just won the Isobel Cup. And, As of course, the, Northeastern's women's team reached the national championship game. Oh, that's right. Um, and and somehow Orono, Maine. Orono, Maine. Yes. A place that 99 or that 95 percent of people in Maine have never been to. Um, ranked as number 25 on the national list. Got the main black bears up there. The main black bears who are not particularly relevant in hockey East most years uh, of late. Well, they were with Swayman in that. They didn't win anything, but he was he he made people stand up and take notice when he was up there. I mean, he was Hobie Baker finalist. He received the um ah. Uh, goaltender's name i could see him as the best goaltender in the country he won a richter mike richter award that one yes okay so last night bolts and isles i think we may have seen a turning point in the series uh i did not sadly enough see the whole game are we talking about the final play of the game? No. Which was in and of itself pretty amazing. Um, Ryan McDonough very nearly had a highlight reel goal. And <laughs> that's not know. something you tend to say about him. I didn't know he could spin around like that. That was just that was impressive to me. And then I don't know what Varlama was thinking, but he's drifting out toward him instead of holding the net and. Pullock comes flying in. So what was the turning point? Did I miss it? You may or may not have. Um, after the flurry of goals from the Islanders, Vasilevsky had a puck go through his pad, go through his five hole off of his pad and just trickle wide uh, on the stick side post. And he did something that I have only seen him do a handful of times in his entire career. He looked behind him on a non-goal. But he felt it go through his pads. That's why he looked behind him. But he doesn't even look behind him most of the time on a goal. He might turn around and dig it out, but he tends to know where the puck is, even if it's whether it goes in or not. I I really have to wonder if the Islanders, who had not scored more than a couple of goals throughout the first couple of games, and, I mean, let's face it, Vasilevsky's performance in the playoffs, again, has been spectacular. I have to wonder if the Islanders, with those three goals, in a very short period of time, on a small number of shots managed to get into his head. 
sometimes it's saying, possible. I'm not saying that he's standing in the net quivering. Right, no, but he, they could have got in his head just for that. I mean, Vasilevsky seems to be really good at compartmentalizing, comes back out the next night or the next game and puts up another, you know, 940 save percentage, maybe allows one goal on, on, on 39 shots or whatever, 38 shots. It's, I'm not going to sell, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, they got in his head, but I think it may have been only for this one game. And to be, I missed the three goals that the Islanders scored when I, finally got back to the house turned it on it was three nothing islanders here's the other part but they still recovered and scored two themselves in the third period they did here's the other part though early at one point there was the shots were 17 to 4 in favor of tampa bay the score was still 0-0 but 17 to 4 Tampa Bay, I mean, the Islanders have a fairly strong defense. I mean, yes, obviously they have Pelic, Pollock, they have Letty. Um, I like Mayfield. I mean, they have a strong defense on the island. They do. And their ability um, to keep the, their ability to keep things on the perimeter is not surprising either. I mean, they they if they can force teams to stay on the perimeter, pass it around, even on the, you know, whether it's power play or even strength, the more passing you're doing around the outside, the less shooting you're doing. And Tampa Bay likes to find those open holes and work their way in. If the Islanders aren't allowing it, then yeah, 17 to four is not surprising. Well, no, no, the the Tampa Bay had the 17 shots. Oh, okay. Okay. So they were just blasting away. They were blasting away. And you look at the stats at the end of the game, and not only did not only did the Islanders win the game, but they ended up with 30 shots on goal. And this is we're talking the difference was at about the halfway period. It was 17-4. The Islanders took over the back half of that game. They they owned the back half of that game from their first goal through the end of the period, through the end of the game, even allowing for Tampa Bay's two goals. Um, the Island, the lightning had 20 giveaways, 20. Wow. The Islanders won 56% of faceoffs. That's, I really have to ask the you really have to ask the question at this point. Does do the Lightning as a whole have the conditioning to win this series? Like, is their cardio strong enough to play this sort of series against the Islanders who can hit, who can skate, who can defend, and I think are defending better regardless of the results in net. I think the Islanders are defending better because they're defending more consistently as a five as a five man unit than uh than the than the Lightning. Okay. I I don't know what their conditioning is, but if I go back and look, Kucherov just came back from an injury. Stamkos is injury prone and maybe his stamina isn't what it used to be. 
yeah, they have young guys like Braid, like Braden Point, Eric Chernak on defense. Sergachev is, is Hedman worn out? Look, I mean, he plays talking a, more about McDonough all se- all season, not just the series, but all season than they have about Hedman. Yes, Hedman somehow ended up with another nomination for uh, the Norris, even though, again, McDonough was talked about more. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. But Do you think they're wearing down? Do you think they have the... the... When the, you get outshot that badly in half a game, there's something well, going on. But they were out. Just, but they were out shooting. Tampa Bay was out shooting the Islanders 17 to four at the beginning, which is what you just told me in the first half. Correct. And then they get outshot 26 to 13 uh, in the last half of the game. Two to one. Yeah. Getting outshot two to one when you theoretically the better team you're the defending stanley cup champions you have the goaltender of this half decade um canadians fans will argue with you (laughs) and you still end up losing the game um despite two goals one of which i think might have been a little bit lucky um how how do you explain getting outshot that badly over the last half of the game if it's not about, I mean, the Islanders started late. It, it, it was apparent. They did not win the first five minutes or the first 10 minutes or even the first 20 minutes. The bus was later. But when you have that sort of shot advantage to give it away, um, you have to ask yourself questions about what you're doing and how you're doing it. Was this... J- was this just odd coaching decisions by our favorite coach or? <laughs> it's kind of funny when I, when I, at the end of the second period, there was something going on and players are skating off the ice and Cooper's looking back over his shoulder. And my first thought was, what are you doing? You can't coach anyway. <laughs> I, I, I was, I was bad. It was bad. I mean, I thought it to myself, but I, I don't know that I don't know what Cooper does as far as as far he as conditioning or well yeah I and suppose I, that's good for you know TV and cameras and whatnot but I mean I would have to double check I want to say that the I don't know well I think it's something to watch. And I want to see how these two series turn out because the fact that Montreal is giving uh, Vegas such a tough series, yes, Vegas is up 2-1. I don't care. Those were not easy wins. I mean, it's, it's down to... It's down to four teams. And based on what we've actually seen... Can you genuinely tell me who you think is who you firmly believe is going to win the cup? No, we didn't make picks last week. And like I said at the beginning, I was grateful that we didn't because I would have been wrong up to this point on the Vegas Montreal one. Because I would never have said that Montreal would be ahead. I, I thought Vegas was going to 
I, I thought Montreal was finally going to run into their mortality and they were going to lose in five. That was um, my that yeah, was my first thought, and they're, now they're, they're up. Have to. a lot of trouble losing in five at this point. Uh, it still could be done. No, it couldn't because they won two games. Okay, it would have to be in six. I'm doing the math in my head and not getting the answers I need. Uh, yeah, I would not have expected them to be winning, and I should have learned after the last two rounds not to go against Montreal, but thought Toronto was going to take in seven, thought Winnipeg was going to take them down in six. It's like, oh, goodness. And as far as the Islanders and Tampa Bay, I figured that was a seven-game series anyway. And we were looking at New York Islanders defense versus the offensive output of Tampa Bay. So that one's kind of going the way I expected. But I couldn't tell you who's going to get it. I I mean, you, I, you, I can't pick. I Islanders, Tampa Bay. They, yeah, no. I mean, the yes, the Tampa Bay Lightning have the ability to out. They have the ability to what? They have the ability to outscore anyone. They proved that oh, yes. last year. They proved it this year. But I think that a lot of people <laughs> underestimated that one factor I started talking about before the season started. Ah, uh, yes, the head coach. The head coach. Uh, when Anders Lee went down, everyone wrote off the Islanders. Except Barry Trotz. Except, you know, Barry Trotz and the people listening to him, um, which seems to include the roster, which is kind of useful. Yeah, that um, it sure is, yeah. So, I, I wonder how the head coaching change in Montreal is going to, or the second head coaching change in Montreal of the season is going to impact the rest of their run. Because, yes, they did win in Luke Richardson's first game. And that puts him into contention for a head coaching spot uh, this summer when a couple of more openings pop up. Um, maybe he'll go to Seattle. Um, Luke Richardson? I believe that's... That's the assistant that took over for Ducharme. Yes. They also have two other assistants working with Richardson. Sean Burke, the goaltending coach. Yes, right. Sean Burke of New Jersey Devils fame. And... Some guy named Alexander Barros. Uh, he's putting a little bite into their game. Oh! Didn't see that one coming. Uh-huh. You're welcome. Um. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. They say that they, they're in touch with Ducharme over video conferencing to work out game plans and whatnot. So, I'm sure that Dominic, Dominique is still having an impact, but... As we said before, you know, the voices that you're hearing behind the bench, you know, how much does that affect it? You know, I don't think Luke Richardson's putting his own plans in place. I think he's just coaching whatever Ducharme want, is is looking for the team to do. And it makes sense as long as – and the you know players he's don't the guy, have a problem. He's the guy on the spot. It's – there are right. too many in-game decisions to be made. That's where he comes into play, the in-game decisions, which we know John Cooper is not good at. He does not excel in that area. <laughs> okay. That was a nice way to put it. Who are um, you? What did you do with Mike? 
And I think we actually have everything covered this week. Isn't that amazing? We did. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, we'll include the uh, link to my draft of the Seattle Kraken, um, or at least this attempt, uh, in the um, in the show description. Um, there's a poll over there. If you're interested, let me know either on the on cap friendly or by um, by t- uh, in comments or by Twitter uh, what you think. Um, Going to try and get the show up onto Facebook uh, again. I've been neglecting uh, getting everything posted there uh, for a while, but we shall try. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? No, we had a very good show today, and there's lots of hockey still to watch. Uh, in that case, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Uh, it's been great. Um, talk to you again next week. Uh, hit us up on Twitter um, during the week, and you'll see what we think of the games in progress. Take care.